My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello, and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Rosalind Hampton. It's not unusual for universities in Canada, much like many other large institutions, to claim the mantle of diversity. Though that term is often deployed to respond to a broad spectrum of social justice-related claims, it often does so, particularly in how it gets taken up by powerful institutions, such that it is emptied of political meaning, or at the very least stretched so far that its truth along some axes is used as a way to avoid dealing with stark deficiencies along others. McGill University in Montreal could certainly, in some respects, be understood as diverse. Yet when Hampton and a colleague of hers began the PhD program in which they're studying, they noticed what they described as, quote, a lack of blackness, end quote. Though black people have been part of the McGill community throughout its history, this lack remains intense in terms of representation in positions of authority, presence as faculty, in curriculum, in the kinds of scholarship that gets centered and prioritized, in the ways of knowing that are valued, and much else. To respond, they came together with other black students, staff, and faculty at McGill to found Community University Talks, abbreviated as C-Unity. And over the last three years, they've organized small and large events that center blackness, that support black scholars and scholarship, and that nurture relationships and collaboration between black people at McGill and black communities more broadly in Montreal. We talk about the context, the group, and the work that they've been doing. I spoke with Hampton by Skype from Montreal. My name is Rosalind Hampton and I'm a parent and an artist and my background is in art history and art education and community work. My first career was in social services and when I went back to school I studied art history and then uh, did some more community work. I've worked extensively in the black community in Montreal and then return to school to do graduate school in more recent years. And right now I'm in educational studies doing a PhD at McGill. Community University Talks is a collective of people, some students, some faculty members. It's a working group of Cuperg McGill. And just a quick interruption, Cuperg stands for Quebec Public Interest Research Group. PERGs are a form of organization that can be found on many university campuses across the country. They're student-funded groups that provide spaces and resources for students to come together and work on issues of concern to them. It's a working group of Cuperg McGill. So a lot of the uh, people who are involved are affiliated in some way with McGill, but not exclusively. The goal of the group is to create spaces for dialogue and to kind of bridge the gap between the university and local black communities. And so there's a lot of work done to kind of reach out to community organizations and generally members of black communities in Montreal that aren't affiliated necessarily with one of the universities. When I started at McGill, a colleague and I, my friend Cora Lee, she's in my program also, We felt like there was what we described as a lack of blackness. 
We didn't know of any black professors in our faculty. There weren't a lot of black students. There just didn't seem to be a lot of mentorship available to us. And we didn't feel as though somehow like the community that was so close to the university actually somehow was connected to the university in a more concrete way. And so we wanted to address that. We wanted to find a way to come together with other black students, but then also to build spaces where the experiences and scholarship of black people were centered. That was, I guess, over the Christmas break of our first year. So 2011-2012, the first event that we organized, which has now become our annual signature event, is called a Talk Forum. And so we conceived of Talk Forums as an alternative to an academic conference where it was more about creating a space of dialogue that was less about one expert presenting a certain amount of information to recipients in an audience and more about a conversation where various kinds of expertise were recognized. We're thinking a lot about critical race theories and the ways in which certain people's knowledge and expertise are recognized over others in certain communities. And so we wanted to make sure that the kinds of experiences and expertise of black communities and black scholars were recognized. And so for Black History Month 2012, we organized a talk forum where we brought together students and faculty of the university with a number of different activists, artists, and various community members of Black local communities in Montreal. It was a resounding success. And in fact, one of the things that we maybe hadn't quite anticipated was the way in which a lot of non-Black students responded to that space and really felt excited about having access to different ways of thinking about learning and who knowledge producers are. So that was kind of our signature event and we built it from there. More people got involved and we started to organize more activities. And then last year we were very ambitious and organized a Black Writers and Artists Congress at McGill last October. And that brought activists, artists and scholars from literally places all over the world for a whole weekend. And we had that at McGill. And then again, you know, it was like this kind of convergence, both bilingual in terms of French and English, which is often separated in Montreal, but then also across disciplines and experiences. So we had spoken word artists, but then we also had more traditional academics all kind of in the same space and sharing across those differences. Tell me more about the talk forums. We've kind of experimented with different formats for the talk forums. We've had three. So the first year we looked at an article by a critical race theorist named Tara Yoso. The article's called Whose Culture Has Capital? And it was literally about looking at different forms of cultural capital, looking at different strengths that communities of color bring to knowledge production that may not always be recognized in the academy. And we had members of a um, local hip hop group. We had various artists, musicians and scholars and each was talking about different aspects. So, for example, about how do students of color learn to navigate institutions that may be hostile to them or that they may feel alienated within? How does intergenerational learning work? How do we learn from elders and value the knowledge that elders have? So we framed it that way so people had a role of facilitating a conversation around a particular form of cultural capital. And then the second year, we had planned it to be a little bit similar to that. But then there was actually an incident that had happened where a speaker had come to McGill and a number of students felt very offended by some of the things that that speaker had said. And so a lot of the next year's talk forum actually became a space in which people felt comfortable coming together and discussing that and debriefing from that 
and sharing strategies about how we can support one another in a situation like that, where we feel like somebody's saying something that's racist or that doesn't speak to our experiences or contradicts our experiences or hurts us, and how we can intervene in situations like that. And I should say that all of the talk forums had been like day long or most of the, uh, you know, most of the day long and involve eating together and sharing music, sharing our art together. So sometimes people have brought their visual artwork, sometimes people have performed. So it's kind of a diverse event in and of itself, although it's called a talk forum. It's not only about talking, it's about sharing in a lot of different ways. And then last year, we've become a member of a co-op here in Montreal called Café L'Arterre. And so we had it there and it was, a, again, a kind of different format, but we, you know, spoke again about various issues that are important to collective members and things that we want to address in our campaigns moving forward. Tell me about some of the smaller events that you mentioned that once you'd had that initial success with the talk forum that you started to organize. The smaller events have been particularly in relation to making sure that we're sharing our experiences and speaking to our experiences when we have the opportunity to. So, for example, members of the collective have often come together to do panel presentations at conferences. The Education Graduate Student Society at McGill has an annual conference, and each year since the collective started, various members of the collective have gotten together to do a presentation that speaks directly to Black students' experiences or to the experiences that we're having or that issues are being raised within the collective. And then Cuperg McGill also has various events along those lines. So social justice days at McGill. Again, we did presentations there. And then in preparation for the Congress, we did some artwork together. We screen printed our own Congress bags and did posters and stuff like that. A lot of what we're trying to do is trying to also use different approaches. So it's that it's not always this traditional academic ways of approaching things. We've also made sure that we're including different creative approaches to knowledge production. So we've worked with local black community organization, DESTA. We're working on building our relationship with them and thinking about how we can support what they're doing and, and raise awareness to issues that are important to them and how we can use some of the resources that we gain from being affiliated with the university to support their work also. One of the activities we did last year was also a stenciling project with a street artist collective called Wall of Femme and Desta also to kind of support Desta's Speak Up campaign that they have going on. And tell me about the decision to organize an event as big as the Black Writers Congress was. Yeah, it was a big one. In, I guess it was 68, there was a Black Writers Congress that was held at McGill. And we understood that event to be a really significant event in McGill's history and not a very well-known event. I think in McGill's archives, there was one picture from the event. And it was a pretty seminal event in the late 60s at a time where Black politics were really taking center stage and the Black power movement was coming to fruition. And indeed, Stokely Carmichael actually spoke at the Congress of Black Writers back then. And uh, just another quick interruption. Stokely Carmichael, later known as Kwame Ture, was a prominent participant in the U.S. civil rights movement and Black power movement and later in the global Pan-Africanist movement. The other thing I think was one of the things is that in looking at the history of that, we felt that the role of women was really underrepresented and underknown. And so one of the things we actually paid a lot of attention to when we were organizing ours was documenting it and making sure that the role of women was well represented and that we used a black feminist approach to organizing a, a non-hierarchical approach to we wanted to make sure that 
we organized it as a collective and made decisions collectively and that we made it as accessible at an event as possible. So we discouraged the use of, for example, academic jargon in the presentations. It was free. It was free for everybody. We made sure that we provided food for people. We made good resource of our allies in the community and those allies affiliated with the university in order to offer everybody kind of the same thing. Whether you were a spoken word artist or whether you were a you know high-end academic, you were treated pretty much the same at this conference. And we really sought to build a community over the course of that weekend. We did some fundraising at the institution, so we applied for various funding opportunities that are made, for example, via the Dean of Arts. In the institution, there are things that you can apply for to bring speakers or to support an event, so we took advantage of those where we could find them. Both Cuperg McGill and Cuperg Concordia supported us with discretionary funding, and Cuperg McGill, because we're a working group of Cuperg McGill, their staff were very, very supportive and gave us a lot of support in terms of organizing logistics. We also applied for a government one-off grant. So it was a grant that the government offered that would support a multicultural activity. They would match what we could raise through the institution. So we managed to pull that off also. And then in the local community, we have some great allies. We were able to provide free childcare through the Montreal Childhood Collective. We were able to provide free coffee that was donated by Centre Paul. We were able to provide food free breakfasts provided by Midnight Kitchen. So we had a kind of diverse funding setup, and it was planned in not a ton of time. We were pretty amazed at how we were actually able to pull it off in, in, in that short amount of time. And it goes to show that I think we have to rethink about things like big fees for attending conferences, why people have to pay for conferences and why that's a norm and who that leaves out. Again, the idea was to create a space where there was a wide recognition of Black scholars and artists and that we had an opportunity to network and to find mentorship and inspiration with each other. And again, it wasn't an exclusively Black event. There were a lot of people who weren't Black who came to the event, but it was certainly an incredible kind of visual intervention also because there aren't a lot of Black professors at McGill. And this was an opportunity for, you know, every panel was featuring the work of Black people. So it was really a powerful weekend. And we had a lot of great comments from that. One of the things we learned is the more time, the better, <laughs> right? Because it, it was it was a challenge. But it was exciting. It was an exciting challenge. And I think the flip side of that is that sometimes you can do things that seem impossible. Doing the impossible is always a really exciting thing. And if you create an event and invite people and support them in attending, sometimes that's all it takes, right? So we were able to raise that money and then people accepted a change in the norm. So people who are used to getting honorariums found a way to accept that there was a small honorarium offered and that there was also the opportunity for them to donate that honorarium to someone else, right, or to another group. People who aren't used to having their travel paid all of a sudden had their travel paid. And so those people who may have really actually needed the honorarium were more likely to say, you know what, donate my honorarium to so-and-so. So I think we learned that people respond to non-hierarchical organizing and that generally people want to participate in something that's framed differently if they understand why it's framed differently. So I think like people appreciated that kind of shift in the organizing and bringing people together in conversation. There was a lot of differences and talking across those differences and finding ways to debate and to have really exciting and vibrant discussions and disagreement sometimes is a really important thing that people crave. 
So thinking a little bit more about the context in which you're doing all of this organizing, sketch out for me in terms of your discipline in which you're doing your doctoral work, what it means, the lack of blackness that you mentioned. My dissertation research looks at the um, social relations between black people in the university. And until you just said it, I didn't realize actually how direct the link is because it is that lack of blackness. When I arrived at the university, I, I would have been surprised to know and I was surprised to find out that black people have always been or pretty much always been at McGill. You know, one might assume that there is some exclusivity or black people weren't allowed to be at McGill at a certain time. And that's just really not the case. Black people have been at McGill since the 19th century. So I think one of the things that I'm learning through this work with C-Unity is about the experiences that black people have had at the university and continue to have at the university. And it's inspired me. Some of the experiences that people share in the collective and in, in our events help me to think in relation to past experiences and people that I've been able to interview who've attended the university in the past, how there are similarities across those decades and some of the issues that continue to arise and why, thinking about how those social relations are shaped. I mean, there's a lot of articles in the past few years that have appeared in like the McGill Daily and stuff that talk about the university as a white university. And we hear that a lot in different spaces. And so to really understand, well, what does that mean? And what does it mean to call it a white university or to call it a, you know, an institution that's so white in the face of a black presence and people who aren't white? What does it mean to them? And what are their experiences of that space, given that it's framed that way? So, yeah, I think it's been a really interesting thing for me to work with the collective and to think about the ways in which our experiences today compare and are in conversation with experiences of students and faculty members also of past decades and even centuries. There's an underrepresentation of black professors. That's really clear. The student population has a significant international student population. And I think that probably most of the students of color or a large percentage of the students of color at the university do come from elsewhere. So they're part of the international student population. And so I think for me, what ends up happening is I'm from, well, I wasn't born here, but I'm from Montreal. I've lived the vast majority of my life here. And so for me, that lack of blackness that Cora and I experienced early on is partly about us as Canadian blacks feeling that we don't see ourselves, that we don't have a sense of a localized kind of sense of blackness, right? So I think there's a significant difference of experience, for example, and certainly the students that I've interviewed have suggested this as well, between the experience of, say, a black person from an African country or a Caribbean country who's here for school only and is returning back to their country versus the experience of someone who lives in the city or who lives in Ontario and has a sense of themselves as Canadian and comes to McGill. And so, like, I think there's some, an interesting distinction to be made there that I'm still thinking about and exploring in the context of my dissertation work. In terms of the scholarship, I think that embodied knowing is a thing <laughs> and that not having a lot of black professors means having that much less diversity in terms of the approaches to scholarship, in terms of what gets studied and how it gets talked about. You know, several people that I've spoken to in the context of my research have mentioned, for example, it's one thing to be able to address issues happening on the continent in their work or to take classes about Africa or, you know, issues in Africa. But as a black student, to not have a black professor to do that with is problematic for them or is something that they call attention to as missing in their educational experiences. 
And then other students call attention to the lack of familiarity with black scholars. And so what ends up getting assigned as readings and what ends up getting discussed in class tends to be reinforcing a very Eurocentric curriculum, even at the university level. Tell me about the importance of and also the challenges in building the kinds of bridges between the university and the broader community that seem to be central to what C-Unity does. It's a challenge for sure. There's a lot about the university experience that somehow seems to discourage those kinds of links. I think one is the language we use when we talk about theory and the kinds of things that we study and talk about. To be able to talk about critical race theory and to be able to talk about anti-colonialism and feminism and all of these things in ways that are relevant and grounded in the lived experiences of people we know and um, people who are in these communities. And that's a challenge for everybody, not just for people of color and not just for black people. But I think that that's clearly one of the things that discourages links between the community and the university, the culture in the university the way scholars and the way academics tend to organize and talk about their organizing and approach organizing may not necessarily be the same way that community groups and community organizations tend to approach organizing. One of the things for myself that I've realized is even the pace at which we organize is quite different, right? And so like to kind of slow it down and to be patient and to take the time to plan things in dialogue with other groups and not to impose our agenda on other groups no matter how good intentions, that's something that we're conscious of and always working on. Listening to the people that we're interested in working with and not ever buying into a notion of ourselves as somehow positioned in any, you know, way of authority or what have you, despite having access maybe to different resources or different ways of knowing. I think that's something that we've really worked hard on and we're continuing to work hard on in our our relationship with DESTA is really great for that because there's just some wonderful people at DESTA who've been patient with us and who who I knew myself and others of us knew before C-Unity even existed. And so it helps for me to keep myself grounded to kind of stay in contact with community workers and the young people that are involved in that organization. You mentioned earlier the importance of creating openings for different ways of producing knowledge. So maybe for listeners for whom that might be kind of an unfamiliar idea, talk a little bit more about what that means and about why it's an important thing to do. In academia, there is a real emphasis on written work and knowledge as something that gets written down in an article and published or in a book and published. And so one of the things that we've put a lot of emphasis on is valuing, well, looking at the importance of, for example, oral history and stories and storytelling of communal sharing, of coming together and sharing food and sharing stories and sharing artwork and making together, creating together. So doing various kind of creative activities and the different ways of knowing that that supports. So to think about knowledge as not just something that you read in a book or that a teacher tells you even, but something that you feel in your body, something that you can't necessarily always put words to. There are lots of different ways of knowing. And I think that one of the things that we realized and that we learned from also critical race theory is that some ways have been valued over others and that that really has a big impact on who ends up in the academy and who ends up being seen as an expert. And so we're interested in disrupting that. 
pushing for this kind of change isn't necessarily what C-Unity's mandate is, but what scope do you see for institutional change at the university that might address some of the needs that you and your friend initially felt that motivated you at the start to found C-Unity? That's the million-dollar question, right? Because I think, like, on the one hand, students have historically formed these groups also, so, you know, C-Unity's not the first. C-Unity is the one that we formed, but prior to that, other graduate students, particularly black students and other racialized students at McGill have formed groups. And there are other groups, including the Racialized Student Network out of the School of Social Work, which address these issues also. And I think these groups always function as alternatives to or to fill a gap that the institution continues to have. So it's a really valid question. And I think our focus has been on filling the gap versus a direct push on the institution. Although I think a lot of our members, myself included, have been involved in other ways of pushing a bit at the institution. I think representation is is important. It's not to say like it's the only thing, but I think it's significant that there's not a lot of black professors or that there are so few, because I think to say not a lot is even an exaggeration. Like there's really very, very few black professors. And I think that matters. And my research demonstrates that it matters to black students. And so I think that the institution has a stated commitment to diversity in quotation marks. And I think the nature of that diversity is the question. I raise these questions and other people raise these questions and neoliberalism posits diversity as this way of kind of addressing a whole bunch of things without necessarily getting at the specificity of race. And I think that like my personal thing is that I believe that race is significant. I believe that race is still a thing. I believe that anti-black racism is a thing. I think that the ways in which black people are underrepresented in the university as knowledge producers, particularly as professors, is significant and something that the institution should be concerned about. I'm not convinced that it is a major concern for the institution. I guess what I'm thinking about is about the ways in which institutions, and certainly this isn't unique to my work, there's a lot of incredible scholars out there writing about this. I've heard it called the Benetton model of diversity. International students bring a lot of money to these institutions. And so when the institutions can present themselves as diverse, that diversity can refer to international diversity, meaning the number of countries that students come from. And so it can be a marketing tool without necessarily disrupting the power dynamics that exist. You can say that you're a diverse institution because you have a lot of international students, and that doesn't necessarily mean that there are, for example, people of color represented in the you know higher levels of the power structure. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that the curriculum that's presented or that the areas of knowledge production are diverse themselves or that they're racially diverse. I mean, it's a specific thing I'm talking about. You have been listening to my interview with Rosalind Hampton of Community University Talks, or C-Unity. To learn more about their work, go to c-uni-t.org. That's c-uni-t.org. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to make suggestions about topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link marked Radio. That's talkingradical.ca. 
I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Sudbury, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. 